Hello, Hopheads. It's your friendly neighborhood host, Jordan, just giving you a little breakdown of the episode that's to come. So initially, we went into this episode with a plan to do a beverage breakdown, a story time arc, and then about a 20-minute, 20, 20-30-minute 20, Q&A with CBR and Screen Rant author Anthony Gramulia. But then we got Anthony on the microphone and got to talking, and we had so much fun with him that that time frame was completely extended past what we thought we'd have available. So what we decided to do is break this Q&A into its own episode. So it's all our conversation, tons of knowledge from Anthony, and a lot of banter from uh, JR and myself. Big surprise. Uh, so put on your headphones. I guess they're already on. And tune in to and try and keep up with the brilliant comic book mind of Anthony Grumilia. Forget everything that you think you know about comics. Some say the battle of good versus evil is never ending because evil always survives. Some say that there are two types of people in this world. Those who drink beer and those who enjoy a good comic. But damn it, we are the bridge. And to that we say cheers. We are your guardians, your watchful protectors from everything mundane. Because in the real world, you either die a hero or you drink long enough to see yourself become the villain. There's a war going on out there. How can you be sure you're on the right side? The ageless debate of what's right and wrong brought to your headphones with the simplest of solutions. With great beer comes great responsibility. And we accept that responsibility. For in brightest day, in blackest night, no evil shall escape our sight. We are hop heroes, bringing the relevance of great beer and comic book stories to light. And we're back. Uh, we have myself here. We have JR Gonzalez. And then we have a very special guest, Anthony Gramulia. Anthony, how are you, buddy? I'm doing all right right now. Just uh, recording in a closet right now, surrounded by old board <laughs> games I forgot I owned, actually. <laughs> yeah, just pointed out the <laughs> Goosebumps kind of back there. There's a Goosebumps one. There's an old Pokemon thing somewhere. And I don't even know half of these these games. Now I'm looking at them. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't even know where half these came from. Probably some birthday party when I was like seven or something. Who knows? Well, I can assure you they're classics because I have oh. played. I've dabbled in the Goosebumps board game realm. And it's 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 good stuff. And I still have that at my parents' house, I think, in my uh, in my closet, just in case. For safekeeping. You, you never know when you have to bust you never know. out. You never know when you have to take a quick drive and... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quick drive in a little three-hour goosebump game. And I see, is that a Spider-Man and like stuffed animal back there? I see crowning its head. Oh, that no, that was oh god, that's from uh, that was back when the first one came out. It just I think I got that as a kid too. Now I think about it. <laughs> this is the podcast, by the way. We just point out things in your closet and you explain them. So. <laughs> Basically, oh, you only missing a small percentage. You haven't seen the giant. Uh, Flick from Pug's Life just sitting there. Oh no <laughs> way! Oh, it's like a giant. It was like a display, and I got it. It was like a giveaway. They were giving it away, and I was like, "Oh, I'll take it." And so I just <laughs> and, I, and it hasn't moved since wherever it gets I'll relocated, take it. and I'll immediately put it in storage. That makes sense. No, uh, basically. <laughs> exactly. So for those listeners out there, Anthony is a writer for Comic Book Resource and Screen Rants, and um, has posted some very, very great content online and, and some that's very specific to our episode. So very excited to have you on. Thank you for taking the time. 
Oh, um, and then we'll go through like a little Q&A and just bounce some questions off of you and have some fun. So, Jr., right. go ahead and get started, bro. Yeah, so, you know, obviously, um, a, a CBR is actually pretty big in, in my life. And, you know, what mm. we do here at the Hot Peros headquarters. Um, with that aside, I guess we just want to know more about you and, and kind of... What's your hmm. origin story? Yeah. yeah. Origin story. <laughs> well, you see, one day at Disney World, my parents... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Happened at Disney World. That's a great start. Mm, I mean, supposedly. Uh, that's... You know, happiest no, place on earth. <laughs> well, for some people, it's very happy. <laughs> and other people, it's slightly disappointing before more sadness settles in. <laughs> and then disappointment. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> or surprise, who knows? Uh, so, actually, so to answer your question, though, with all joking aside, my origins as a writer. Well, so for the, I've been. I've been into comics and movies and games like since I was a kid. I grew up with all the stuff. Uh, I was ruined as a kid because my aunt one one day watched me and gave me Mortal Kombat two and Sonic the Hedgehog, and from there I was just I was I was done. That's it. Sold. There's no. Yeah. That's it. I, I was ruined. It ruined me for the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> from there, you know, just I would always read articles and uh, read material and uh, read. Online about movies and books and comics and games, and that always got me excited so much for the next thing that was coming, the next uh, movie, the next book, the next you know whatever. So I, after, as I got older, I was like, oh, how do I, uh, how do I, how do I write about that kind of stuff? Because it was such a big part of my life growing up. I figured, oh, I'll do the same for someone else, you know, someone else who could, you know, and also not just that, but also just offer my two cents. Because the more you get into culture you see there's more discourse and ideas and discussion and i felt like you know i i think i have some opinions i could share that could be interesting that could be uh part of the bigger dialogue surrounding media and um it actually started i used to work for a website called uh, vocal um that was one of my jobs a while back and during that time i had written a lot of content for their various websites uh, not all about media. Some of it was about, you know, sex or alcohol or marijuana. Topics I'm clearly okay. very experienced with. <laughs> <laughs> I am I am so inexperienced with marijuana. So basically, I had a portfolio of work um, to show to websites. And from there, I started just... Um, for a while, I stopped writing after that job ended. I went to do some editorial work for some historical societies. I would teach... But then all of a sudden, I was like, you know, I, I kind of want to get back into writing, especially when there were some controversies that were making their way known online. And actually, one of the articles I wrote for, like, on Medium or something like that caught the attention of uh, Gail Simone. Okay. And she was retweeting it and getting me a lot of uh, attention from people who worked in, you know, comic books and what have you. So I just noticed that and think, oh, people really like what I want, like, uh, but what I'm doing, maybe I should get paid to do it. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, maybe I should get paid a little extra. You know, medium dollars is not that much. So I sent out an application to CBR saying, hey, I write stuff. Do you want to, uh, maybe I could do stuff for you guys. And they're like, oh, yeah, sure. Come on in, you know. And a few articles became a few more articles, and it became a bigger, you know, thing from there. And Screen Rant and CBR, they're, you know, they're, they're sister companies, essentially. They're all owned under the same corporate umbrella. So it really was an easy gotcha. transition from one to the next. And from there, I've written for other sites, you know, periodically. I've sent some articles in for uh, various different websites. 
but CBR is the one I'm primarily, I've written the most content for. For any one website, I've written more for them than anyone else, I'd say, in my short career so far as a writer. <laughs> gotcha. Well, that's that's incredible that Gail Simone, you know, found your stuff and started spreading the word. And, and that's not surprising at all. If you follow Anthony on, on Twitter or Instagram, you have a very strong presence in the, you know, the political landscape. You're not, not necessarily mm. political, but you have a lot of you know, well pro feminism, pro LGBTQ, like you have a lot of those stories out there. So the fact that Gail Simone hopped on, I mean, that's, that's awesome. Oh, it was, I was, uh, to be, to be completely honest, I was genuinely kind of flabbergasted that you even noticed. I can imagine. I I had a moment of like pure, like for a sec, cause you know, Gail Gail Simone, I've, I, her stuff, her work on Wonder Woman, I thought was really what got me into that character. You know, I liked, I liked Wonder Woman before that, but I didn't like really love the character until I read Gail Simone's uh, The Circle. I think that story specifically was what really got me into her her work on it. And then from there, oh, and then that got me into more into Wonder Woman and uh, the George Perez stuff. And from there, it was just, you know, all downhill for me on that. <laughs> or uphill, from, depending how you look at it, you know. Oh, or uphill, exactly. <laughs> and I hadn't even heard of uh, Birds of Prey at that time before I was like, oh, this writer's really good. What else has she written? Oh, Secret Six, Birds of Prey. Let me take a look at those, you know. And yeah. from there... Those became some of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, that. well, I saw your DC ranking of the movies, and Birds of Prey was up there near the top. And I, I just want to say, I saw your lit list and completely agree with all of it. No, yeah. I mean, I think Wonder Woman's the best one, I think. I think that's like Phenomenal a fair... Movie. I think Shazam, that's, you know, another great one. I love that movie. Whenever it's on TV, I just watch it. Like, it's just a movie... Yeah. It's, one of the, it's, it's one of those films that... If it's like 11 o'clock at night and you're flipping through channels, like, oh, Sam's on. I'll, I'll watch the rest of that. <laughs> it's a great movie to go right before bed. You know, it's oh, just God, yeah. Up, I got, a, I got a question for yeah. you on Shazam. We kind of had oh, like, definitely. we, we kind of had this like pre like thought on Shazam, which wasn't great because of, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 the costume and, you know, maybe the actor. Did, did you have like mm-hmm. a pre like, like, uh, crap, this is not going to go good? Or did you like, do you always kind of keep that opinion? Or were you a big neutral. Chuck fan? Oh, yeah, you're a big Chuck fan. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, not a big fan of Chuck. I liked I liked um, Tangled, so that was one bit of optimism there going in. But yeah, not a big go. Chuck fan. Um, <laughs> honestly, I was pretty optimistic going into Shazam because I'm also a huge horror fan. And that director, okay. he had a, he's done some pretty good stuff in the horror field. Um, okay. I mean, I'm not a big fan of the the full version of Lights Out, like the full movie version of Lights Out, but the short film is one of the best short best. horror films ever. One of the creepiest things I've ever seen. Yeah, and it's yeah, genuinely... Have you seen that? I have not. Oh, oh they flip it. the lights on and off in the hallway. It's like, like a 30, 60 seconds maybe, and it's like this creature, every time you turn the lights off or lights on, lights off, it appears in like the shadows, and then lights on, it's gone, and it like gets closer and closer. It's yeah. super. Ugh, it's what inspired the movie. And Sorry, while I don't, I don't particularly love how that short film ends. I feel the last shot isn't as scary as I as it could be, but it's sure. a masterclass at building tension. Like mm-hmm. every single shot makes you unsettled. So going in, I was like, no, this is the, this guy's doing Shazam. All right, cool. Because our directors tend to do really good with superhero films. Yeah, well, like, that was the one thing. Like, it was a very like I like Jay was saying. We were a little nervous that it was going to be very kiddie and not appeal to the the older you know generations. Mm. But like with the creatures in Shazam, like they were very like dark and demonic oh. almost. Like it, it yeah. was a little bit of a mix of both worlds. Yeah, I was. I didn't. I'll be honest. I expected to be a little more kid friendly too. I went in with most films. I try to go in with an open mind because I've been disappointed by films. I thought no, I thought would be amazing going in. 
and I've been really impressed by movies going in that I expected to hate. Like, I'll give you an example. Birds of Prey I expected to like. I didn't expect to love it like I did. I really Mm -hmm. enjoyed that one. But I was going in kind of expecting to to enjoy it. I thought it was going to be a good time, nothing, like, amazing, but I would enjoy it. It was like a good... For me, it was the warm-up act before Wonder Woman 1984 going right. in. I, I expected to like it, but I, I was thinking, like, no, Wonder Woman, that's why I'm going to go nuts over this year. And Dune, but that's another. <laughs> oh, um, fucking, if that go. gets that's going to get delayed, I'm never going to be able to see it until, like, <laughs> freaking Avatar 2 will come out before. What happened to your be... optimism, Anthony? Come on, man. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> I'd, rather, I'd rather the film get delayed than people get sick at the theater. So Better <laughs> delayed than rushed, 100%. But, um... But uh, no, I, I really dug that one. Um, and likewise, I was expecting Aquaman to be the best thing ever. And I loved it, but I didn't love it as much as I was hoping I would. So that's yeah. another film I could watch at like midnight and just love the hell out of it because it's just so much fun. Right. Um, Action. No, Fest. yeah. And I was honestly very optimistic going in to Batman v Superman. And we all know how that's Really? Out. I was optimistic. <laughs> oh, wow. Because. Because okay. I was thinking, you know, because mentally I was thinking, okay, Man of Steel, my biggest problems with it makes me think, okay, well, you know, it's a little, little too dreary. Okay, that's a Batman trait, not a Superman trait. Mm-hmm. Zack Snyder's mm-hmm. doing Batman. Okay, maybe Batman will be, you know, his, his, what, he can, what he's good at. And he was good at Batman. The problem was he wasn't great at it, <laughs> you know? And he wasn't great at anything else in that film either. <laughs> And no, he wasn't great at much. He was he was, he oh, was man, good was at the stiffest. He was, he was good at at his big at, at coming up with big ideas. He was terrible at articulating them. <laughs> and it was it's like listening to a kid write fan fiction where they come up with these huge, complicated, crazy ideas, and then you're like, oh, on paper that sounds really cool. How are you gonna write that? <laughs> and then it's like, <laughs> and then you read it and you're like, oh, 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 mm, oh. <laughs> well, mm. actually, the fun fact: but all of Ben Affleck's lines were wit- written in crayon. So, <laughs> oh, well, that makes that makes more sense. <laughs> You're not far off. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense uh, actually. Yeah. Well, it's it's so you're an optimistic guy. It sounds like in general when it comes to these films coming out, and then you hope for the best with open mind, which I think we all should do. Yeah, um, for sure. Do I always do that? No, you but I try. You know, I, I put the effort out. <laughs> so. One of the reasons that we were so excited to have you on is you posted an article about the uh, the rumor of the Ultimatum story arc coming to the MCU. Mm, and yes. it was a great breakdown. We tweeted it uh, about how you should read it if you have any knowledge or no knowledge because it breaks down the pros and the cons and everything. And I just want to know, first off, w- with your optimism, are you more excited or nervous about the potential of the Ultimatum story arc coming to the MCU? I am, in general, more optimistic than pessimistic. And my reason for that is this that I think that when they say they're going to be doing Ultimatum, they're not really doing Ultimatum as you think of it when you hear the word Ultimatum. Because mm-hmm. there's a certain image that comes to mind with Ultimatum. It's edgy. It's dark. It's a, a kill fest. It's, it ruined these characters. But I don't think they're going to do the stuff that you associate with Ultimatum. I think the LNs they're going to focus in, in on are the Magneto and uh fantastic four elements they're gonna bring in i think the the mutant origins that ultimatum introduces i think that's probably going to be what they do um which i I have, I have thoughts on but i mean i think the elements that they're going to incorporate a magnetocentric storyline 
that requires the whole universe to kind of join together, including these new characters they just got light rights to. Yeah. That makes me more optimistic than, say, the kill fest that Ultimatum really was. I think that if you look at the story from the various components of what was playing into it and not so much the um, the parts that everyone remembers... <laughs> <laughs> essentially <laughs> really it, that's what that's the part that's the problem with ultimatum i because because the mcu has been very good so far at um taking storylines and adapting them to fit their structure right because planet hulk it was adapted in thor ragnarok but it wasn't the planet hulk storyline it was the elements right. that everyone really remembered vividly but not the elements that made sense in the storyline for example they wouldn't take all the elements of Sakaar and the rebellion and the, you know, Hulk's son and all that. They didn't include that because it wasn't, wouldn't fit into the narrative they were building. Uh, Hell, Hella, very different in the MCU than in the comics. She's basically, you combine Hella with Angela, essentially, and you get yeah. an idea of what Hella kind of is like in the movies. So at no point when I heard they're going to do Ultimatum did I think they're going to adapt this a one-to-one. It's just not going to happen. Because they never have done that. I think what you're going to see is they're going to take the best elements of the story, alter them, fit them into what they've already established and what they will establish before the storyline is adapted directly and work with that. And I think you're going to be seeing the building blocks leading to Ultimatum uh, in the next several couple of years of MCU stuff. Like, you're not going to get Ultimatum tomorrow. You're going to get it maybe 2022, 2023, because they're building up naturally to that. So what I think they're going to do is this, um, in general. You're going to see the X-Men and Fantastic Four reintroduced. You're going to see Magneto established. And then what you might see is a story where Magneto... Uh, floods the earth or tries to, to alter the, the, the way the, the world is like structured on a, on a magnetic level. You're going to see flood, you can see chaos, but then you're going to see the heroes band up to fight this one antagonist. I don't think you're going to see incest. I don't think you're going <laughs> to see the wasp get eaten alive. Oh my God. I, I don't think like all the mutants and all the Avengers are going to get drowned in the wave initially. Maybe one might get injured, but I don't see actually them killing them off, really. Yeah. I don't think they're going to have an assassination of Cyclops on the front steps of the <laughs> White House or whatever. It was so stupid. Like, I'm, like most of Ultimatum, yeah, like most of what I don't like about Ultimatum are the things I can't see them adapting. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah that's my. That's my two cents on that front. No, <laughs> that I, well, question. Oh, that's great. Well, I have a. I, I'm a little worried about the the. I think I'd like to talk about the the mutant origin. Like that yeah. is a yeah. huge thing in comic book. Yeah. I mean, it's such an alternate universe thing to do, which is what mm. uh, the ultimate ultimate comic books are about. It's a completely you know different world. And to when I first read that, um, I mean, they, they even have a, an origin books for it, uh, and. I mean, it, it kind of floored me a little. I mean, mm. uh, do you think they're going to try and put that into the into the movie, into the universe? Or? That I'm less sure about. Yeah. I kind of hope they don't do that. Yeah. I can see them doing it because they like to tie everything into Captain America in, these, in, the, in the MCU. Right. To some extent, you know, the Hulk. It's Captain right. America's formula. 
So they like to tie it in like that. But I think if they do that, it's going to be very reductive and it's going to keep them from exploring some really cool concepts. Right. Like, you're not going to be able to do um, Apocalypse right. or Mr. Sinister, or at least not as they are in the comics. Right. If Wolverine is the first X-Men, essentially, like he is in the Ultimate Comics, what you get is um, a storyline all about Wolverine again, mm-hmm. essentially. You set up the same... Don't get me wrong, I, I love the Fox X-Men films for, uh, for what they are. Right. But they were not X-Men stories. They were Wolverine stories. And you can tell that because most, with the exception of, um, I'd say, First Class, every single good X-Men film centered on Wolverine. And a lot of the bad ones. And a lot of the bad ones, too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's a good question, Derek, because that's what I was nervous about. I mean, there's a lot of things in the story arc that are just careless. Like, the the Mm. deaths are the most, you know, obvious one. People just die instantly and just so casually um but the way that nick fury just drops that knowledge and the like towards the end she's like oh yeah by the way all x-men are man created like in a lab like it's just like whoa you just create just destroyed all this history in one word balloon you know and yeah i i really fear that and like you're talking about reintroducing the the x-men like they have to decide that now because if they're reintroducing the x-men they're gonna have to reintroduce it in that way some in, in some format i would think yeah, that's the part that I, I'm the most nervous about. Actually, one middle ground I would like is if mutants existed, but they hastened the process. I can see that working. If they did something that hastened mutant kind's advancement in the 20th century. But okay. even then, that's still really... Uh, I don't know. I was reading something. There was a fan theory a while back. I might have written about it for all I know. I'm actually not sure. <laughs> Sometimes I'll write, like, I'll be honest. I've written so many things. I forget what I've written and what sure. like, I just read some of it. There was a fan theory about with the Eternals movie, maybe the Eternals tying in with the origins of mutant kind. Okay. But even then, I don't know. It still seems kind of iffy. I think the best option would just be mutants are there. You know, they're just, they're just present. Right. And we just, and either we haven't seen them because they've been rained like, very well hidden or maybe there's some they did they were out there but then Professor X maybe used his telepathy to like mind wash everyone or like suppress the memory in their heads I feel that would work way better than it being another Captain America is the source of this problem you know thing yeah yeah, I think we get into like a Star Wars problem there because everything always comes back to Skywalker, Skywalker oh, yeah. this, Skywalker that, and it just gets you get beat over the head with it. And that me personally, I wasn't a huge fan of the new um, trilogy because it was just mm. so Skywalker heavy, and they have so much yeah. potential to explore a different world, and they just keep coming back to the origin. And the problem I think is you see a lot of people who go, "Well, how can you explain it if it's not tied into something I already know about?" Like, a lot of people got really, using uh, Star Wars as an example, a lot of people got pissed off when they said Rey was just nobody. Because she couldn't be nobody. She had to be tied to some established lore. But, and eventually she was. Spoiler alert. But, (laughs) yeah, yeah, eventually. They had to fix it back to something. But the problem is that people are very uncomfortable, I think, with not having a very precise understanding of where every element comes from. A few weeks ago, I posted an article about Ironheart, for example. And people were like, 
argue. It was a response to people arguing that people, that Ironheart as she is wouldn't make sense in the MCU currently, and that uh, because they're like, well, we haven't met Riri Williams yet, so she can't be Ironheart. We should give it to Morgan Stark because she's an established character. And I'm like, but she's four, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you can give her the freaking like you can do, give a four year old the suit of armor. Like that, is, that sounds realistic. <laughs> but that just that just speaks, I think, to this fear that people I don't say fear, fear is too strong of a word. This anxiety that people yeah. have when being given new toys to play with. If you think about it, Wakanda, for example, that just appears out of nowhere, really, in Civil War. But it makes sense. It takes something you're kind of familiar with, and it just plays with it a little bit. Like, oh no, this this metal you 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 used that the whole thing. It came from this place. We only mentioned it briefly in Avengers, you know, Age of Ultron, and then it used the place itself right now. But then the idea that it's some super technologically advanced society, that's all in Black Panther, really. You don't really get a sense of that until you are, like, in that world. Mm-hmm. So the way I see it, all you need to do is just introduce one mutant. And then, okay, that's, that's your lead-in. That's your Black Panther in Civil War lead-in. And then here's the world of mutants. It's hidden. You didn't see it. It was deliberately kept from your eyes, but now here it is. It's the same thing as Black Panther. It, it makes total sense to just introduce it. Yeah, There's like no that. reason to make a big origin story for why mutants exist when you could just drop them right in. Yeah. So who's the mutant? Oh, well, who knows? I don't That's the thing. That's the big question. I think it well, should not be want? Wolverine. Whoever it should be should not be Wolverine. <laughs> So, so Gambit. So it should no, be Gambit. No, Gambit. We're in agreement. Honestly, yeah, I'd say Gambit would be a good idea. Or, Beast. you know, or yes. Beast even. Beast or Gambit would be good, I think. I think yeah. they're both, you know, subdued enough characters where you're like, no, this is a good place to start. Pardon me wants to say, like, someone like Kitty Pride or Jubilee, but I think Beast Jubilee. is a good... Jubilee's <laughs> yeah. good, too. But I think Beast is a good, solid, just, oh, yeah, it's, it's right there. Wasn't Jubilee how they introduced the first mutant in the cartoon series? Wasn't she like the first one that you kind of got connected to? Yeah, yeah. Like it's like a, like a they do it like a teenager coming of age thing, and she's like, yeah, shooting weird things from her body in strange ways and <laughs> growing in ways that she doesn't understand. Yeah, yeah. you know, kind yeah. of. Um, I have a quick thought. Uh, the Scarlet Witch. I mean, uh, she's she's technically a, a mutant, right? I mean, and in Age of Ultron. Well, she's a miracle. <laughs> because they they manufactured they her. Say mutant. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Uh, they they manufacture her and and um, uh, it's, I can't think of his name now, but uh, her brother Quicksilver. Quicksilver. Pietro. Yeah, in in Age of Ultron, right? She, they were they were kind of kind of on this line of ultimatum where they were not really born with it, but alt you know altered at some point by Hydra. Is that right? I mean, mm. am I remembering that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they were, um, they were, they volunteer were volunteers for an experiment, and um, basically Hydra just, you know, untapped their hidden potential in some way, or gave them these powers. That could easily, I think, be retconned into them always having the mutant gene, but it being activated. I think. Okay. okay, and that wouldn't be, and that wouldn't be hard to do. Right. You know, it's very, it would be very simple to saying, oh, you were always mutants, you just didn't have that ability yet, and this just activated it. But then it always begs the question, will they make Magneto their, their parents, their right. father? Right. Which I think you could easily tie Magneto into, you know, uh, Sokovia and all that stuff. And that would be an easy retcon. 
Like, oh, no, he didn't die. He just lived. Or, oh, no, who you thought was your dad was someone else, and you were just raised by, you know, adoptive parents or something like that. It could, be, it could easily be retconned, and it wouldn't require a whole lot of complicated explanations. And that's what I think a big fear is with a lot of people, that they're going to make some giant complicated reasoning as to why this thing has to be the way it is, when there's many simple little shortcuts you can take that are easier to explain and less easy to tear apart, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, let's hope. The subtlety. I like that. Just introduce one mutant and then the world's introduced in another another format. I think that makes more sense than origin stories. I mean, they, they didn't do that again with Spider-Man, thank God. Uh, they kind of, he was just there already, you know? And I think that yeah. everybody really appreciated that because we don't want to go through the weeds again like we did mm-hmm. with McGuire and Garfield. It's like, we're, we're here, you know? Let's, let's move forward. Let's move past this. So I think that that'd be a great... Exactly. Great the great thing with mutants is Stanley and Jack Kirby. They made them because they got sick of giving people origin stories. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there you go. it was like it was like ah, fuck it, mutants. They have powers. They're born with it. <laughs> fuck it. Okay, we're good. Like Maybe it. they're born with it. Maybe it's yeah. Maybelline. Who fucking knows? But <laughs> yeah, basically, I, I think that I think that the the beauty of it and the simplicity of it is is, is crucial there. I think that just let them have it. Don't create this genetic manipulated. No, thank you. Um, yeah. So, yeah, what, what, I guess, what's your, what are you most excited about with this coming to the potentially MCU? And what are you least excited about? Like, what's your biggest hope and your greatest fear? My biggest hope is that it will allow the X Men and Fantastic Four to take center stage. Uh, I think Fantastic Four is very easy to introduce, depending on how you want to do it. Can I've it be done well, though? Can the Fantastic Four be done well? Anything can be done well. The question is, will it? Yeah. <laughs> Any idea can be amazing. You just have to approach it from the correct perspective, with the correct crew, the correct... I think if you got Brad Bird in there, because he's made the Fantastic Four twice, they called the Incredibles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's done it twice already. He's, he's, go, he's got actually. it down. <laughs> yeah. You know, exactly. Really, they are basically Fantastic Four. Um, but if you got someone like, say, obviously everyone's like... Um, Peyton Reed, they want him to do it because he was almost going to make a Fantastic Four film set in the 60s for Fox back in the day. That didn't go through. Good, good idea. The problem is with the Fantastic Four is that none of the movies are good because they never did what needs to be done. You know, you look at the, um, what, the Tim Story. Was that the director of the ones with Chris Evans and Jessica Alba? That sounds well, those, one, those two were made by someone who had good ideas, but played it like a complete comedy. He made it a, mm-hmm. a joke. But there's elements of those films that would have worked if a different approach was taken. You know, the comedic element, is, it's fine. Comedy's good. Fantastic Four should be funny because it's a, it's a big family. They fight, they argue, it, there's antics. It should be goofy, but not goofy. You know what I mean? Like, there should be, <laughs> there should be silliness, but it shouldn't be a farce. Right. And I feel like the 90s Fantastic Four that, was never, that never came out has a lot of good ideas if they just finished it, but it was a 90s superhero film. They had no idea what they were getting themselves into. They had no budget. It, the studio had no faith in it. Um, Introduce the Silver would, Surfer. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> honestly, what I think they should do is focus on the negative zone. Like, hold Galactus off, introduce Doctor Doom and the negative zone. That would be a great way of... Yes. Dealing with it, you get you get your iconic villain in, but you also get your cosmic horror going in there. And I think Doctor Doom should be established for an ultimatum film, Absolutely. a film where Magneto and Doctor Doom are 
two core elements of that story. That would be fantastic. So yeah, I think Fantastic Four can be done as long as they keep Josh Trank away from it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, there I don't go. care if the studio interfered. That movie was bad even before they got in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. And that, I... Hello, Hopheads. It's your friendly neighborhood host, Jordan. Just checking in to let you know that this episode of Hop Heroes is brought to you by The Koi in Tacoma. Are you looking to throw a catered work party or maybe just a social gathering at your home, but you want to class it up a bit? We'll look no further than the Koi. They got tons of deals on great sushi party trays. So many different rolls, so many different additions you can add on. And you'll be looking like the Bella the Ball when they be rolling in with your classy ass sushi and shit. Uh, they also got a delicious sake menu. So many different options on there. Sake bombs, sake flavors. And if you are like me and don't even really like sushi that much, they got gyoza, they got pork belly, bao bun, sun. They got plenty of options for you. So check out the Koi in Tacoma. They've been doing a great job donating free food to the local hospitals to take care of everyone in this time. So do do your part, support them. They are now open for phase two. And you can find them at thekoitacoma.com to book a reservation or on Commerce Street in Tacoma, Washington. Go out there and support. And here's back to Anthony. <laughs> Um, okay, so Fantastic Four is properly introduced into the universe, and Doctor Doom, I think you're right. I think the anti-hero side of Doctor Doom and Ultimatum was one of the shining lights in this, and um, mm. that begs the question, is he going to murder, you know, potent, like hypothetically murder Magneto's kids? Are they going to be Magneto's children? Is that going to be the motivation? There's a lot I of think, questions there. I think you can easily make it so it's just a natural escalation of where these characters were last time. You know, if Magneto was beaten, he's more desperate this time. You don't necessarily have to have him suffer loss, because if his kids are Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, well, then he's already lost Quicksilver, you know, yeah. years prior. But that's not immediate. That's, you can make it a slow revenge story, but I think even if it's as simple as just... Because I will say this, with the Fox X-Men films, they never got Magneto wrong. Yeah. Even if the rest of the film was bad, Magneto was, with the one exception being, uh, I think, The Last Stand, honestly. Yeah. Um, I think that was the one film where they got Magneto wrong, but otherwise they got him always right. And what, all you got to do is present a guy who believes in mutant superiority. It's pretty easy to, to rationalize someone going a little too far with their opposition to the established order. It's not too difficult to imagine someone who is so who believes so firmly that they're right and so convincingly right that they can go a little too far. The first film could be him going a little too far. The next film could be him just escalating beyond even that. You don't have to give him a tragic backstory for it to still tell the same basic story. And I feel that's the biggest flaw with Ultimatum, that it depended on pain as the sole motivator for everything. Every character had to be motivated by the absolute darkest possible reason. Now, well, not darkest, like most depressing reason, I should say. Darkest would be if they were all sex predators, but that's not. <laughs> that's, <laughs> another that's, not ultimate, the that's another ultimate storyline. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I think the big thing is they just escalate whatever came before. That's what they've done in the MCU so far. They've just taken whatever happens, they build on it, and then they just build and build and build. That's why I'm excited for them building to Ultimatum rather than just adapting Ultimatum. Yeah. You have to build up to that kind of climactic. Um, now, what could they use as motivation for Magneto? Well, just anything will do. Just 
He, maybe he failed. Maybe something he did. Maybe he did lose something that was valuable to him. Maybe he lost credibility. Maybe he feels like a disaster happened that he could have avoid. He could have stopped if the heroes hadn't interfered. It could be any number of reasons. Yeah, I guess you don't have to overthink it. I mean, he's he's had his little his little plots and schemes for various reasons, anyways, and this <clears> is just <throat> an ultimate one. So <clears throat> that makes sense. What what uh, what's your biggest fear about the? the potential of ultimatum i have two core fears with the with the adaptation the biggest of course is that they go into the extremely dark territory and and don't get me wrong i like dark stuff i love really twisted demented movies oh but the problem is i was just watching cannibal holocaust a couple of nights ago so i i nice. like my i like my <laughs> like i like my demented oh i love that i love that that's well i don't love how they killed the animals in real life for that movie but everything else about that film i think is pretty good yeah i've never seen it myself personally but sammy talks about that film as like an iconic gore classic yet super controversial i know they talk about it a lot on like last podcast on the left and stuff oh god yeah i i, I have issues with how it was filmed i think the film is good but this, the way they filmed it was terrible. But I think the film itself has merit as a piece of art. Um, <laughs> that's, that's my simplified opinion on it. <laughs> I'm not, not, not going to get into my opinions on Diodato's techniques. Anyway, so I like dark stuff, but I feel like dark in superhero stuff tends to be done wrong. Hmm. Because you think dark is depressing and dreary, but it's not as there could be a lot of humor in, in darkness. There could be a lot of morbid fun in darkness. It doesn't have to be people meditating on loss for three hours. Yeah. And that's Ultimatum's problems. Prob- that biggest problem. Until they go to hell and fight off the armies of the undead with, you know, Captain America and Thor, the whole story is just, this is terrible. Everything's going to hell. People are dying. More people are dying. We're looking for people. People, oh, look, they're dead. And it gets old. It gets really monotonous. Yeah. Like, like the monotony of the pain is the worst part, I think. I think that's what I'm trying to get at. It's monotonous. It's, that's the thing I think a lot of people get wrong when they think a dark story is good. Dark stories can be great, but a monotonous story is painful, regardless of if it's monotonously bright and cheery or monotonously dark and depressing. Absolutely. So they have to really take liberties with the narrative because the narrative really is just a disaster for half of it and then the fight to stop the disaster in the second half. There really aren't too many twists and turns except for, like, expo- exposition, you know? Yeah. All the big twists are just they're talking about some event in the past or they're talking about the motivation. And the twist becomes, oh, this off screen thing that happened is what's going to change the narrative in some way but you don't see that acting out in the narrative of the story i feel like a lot of things are dropped in there yeah yeah everything feels dropped in even like the as cool as it is my favorite part of that story really is when you know thor and uh cap are going to get valkyrie's spirit in hell that's that part is incredible it's great but that's because it's built up in the story we see valkyrie you know dead we say how can we resolve this well we have to go to hell how do we, well, that is fight as, as soldiers and his problems. That is the best part of Ultimatum because it's the only part that feels like there is a, an initiative, rising and falling action, and a resolution. Everything else feels like an event happens, you're reacting to it now. 
let's get back at whoever started that event. Okay, we're done. You know, yeah. it, it yeah. feels very two note. That's a great point. I think the narrative of I I always thought I enjoyed it because it was just so cool. <laughs> He's fighting mm, these exactly. demons and he has a sword and Cap throws a shield through out of nowhere. Oh, it's great. They have to make the ultimate sacrifice at the end, and they both want to sacrifice for the other. And like, hmm. but yeah, the build up to it, like there is, there's that beginning, that that middle, that end, and, and everything else is so reactive. That's such a great observation. Exactly, that's, that's a great fear. Oh, no, but that's the thing though. With with, with great storytelling, is decisions. You always have every great movie and book and comic relies on decision making. Character has to make a choice. They have to be, they have to want something. They have to need something, and there has to be something stopping them from getting it. Yeah. With Ultimatum, for the first half of the story, what do the characters need? To get out of the flood. What do they want? To get out of the flood. What's stopping <laughs> it? The flood. <laughs> when, you write, when, when you put it down like that, it sounds like a boring story. <laughs> You're right. And that's, yeah, I love to see the cork board in the room. When, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, what are you going to do now? We have to, we have to swim. Yeah. <laughs> And every, yeah. every time mission, like, oh, we have to have to get out of there. <laughs> Why can't Nightcrawlers teleport out? Oh, he, he's drowned. He's yeah. dead. Oh. And, and it's, such <laughs> a no. good, it's such a good point because they use David Finch as the artist. And David Finch is a great mm-hmm. cover artist for me. Like, I, I love a lot of his covers. He does a great Batman uh, oh, yeah. for the, the, you know, the, the uh, Blackest Night or, or the Brightest Day. Mm. And, um, but I think they try to use him in this aspect to kind of what you're saying, bring this darkness to this because there's is going to be so much this. So what's the writer that we can? And I actually preferred the um, Ultimatum Spider-Man, you know, uh, mm. because the art was such – it wasn't as dark, but you were still kind of feeling Spider-Man's pain as he's going through and he's fighting Hulk and he, you know, he ends up at Doctor Strange's mansion. And the the art just kind of brings you in. With, with David Fincher, it, it was – it was so. I guess they. It was over the top with that. What you're, you know, yeah. just over the top with darkness and the way he mm. draws. I mean, it's it's his is always it's always intense with his drawings and um, I, I I mean I didn't even connect that until you start talking about how they you know you're trying to get this monotonous, dreary, dark story and why let's just let's make it worse. Let's add David Finch to the to the mix. <laughs> yeah, let's make it and worse. it's like oh uh, yeah, I got you. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. A lot of still images from Ultimatum are really good. If uh, uh, as cover, as basically like a cover art. Right. You know, you could take tons of pa- panels from Ultimatum and use it as like your computer's wallpaper. Right. Yeah. But if you have to read, but would you want to look at twenty-five wallpapers? In yeah. A, you know, in a four-page spread. No. Right. Like, it, it's it's there's a I've I've gotten into discussions with people before about this where. People confuse detail for quality. Right. Some of the best artwork is simple. It's very easy to look at. It's very easy to follow. And it's artistry to make something simple look effective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the problem with Ultimatum is art. As in, I mean, this won't really affect the movie necessarily because it's all going to be you know, rendered in CGI anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. but, um, which is consistently good for Marvel. They, they do their good CGI there. But Let's set the Hulk uh, Buster suit. God. Yeah, that yeah. was a little. I mean, I mean, there's a few, there's a few pieces of CGI that look not so great in the Marvel films from here and there. Yeah. I think some of the Ultron stuff doesn't look as great as that initial, rusty, falling apart suit. Right. Um, but I do think an issue will be with with the okay. So Ultimate art. Um, the problem is every single art looks like it's the same. Right. As that like blob eating the wasp art. 
that same level of detail. That one shot is so detailed and it's horrifying and disturbing. Grotesque. But then every panel looks like it's supposed to be one-upping that artwork in terms of the detail of every right. character, the detail of the water. And it becomes very... It becomes too much. It's overwhelming to the eye. Yeah. If everything is detailed, then nothing's detailed. Right. It's like it, it, it takes away it, – it's almost like his art took away from his art and the fact that you're, like, mm. getting so used to it at, you know, as you read and you read. And, in fact, some of it, you know, by the time he gets to the Hulk or, you know, by the time he gets to Magneto and he's on his knees, like, what the hell did I just do? It's like, okay, you're, it's already – you're already seen you're enough. Done. Yeah. <laughs> You I checked out you. a while ago. <laughs> thank you. It's awesome. And I think sometimes the best art is very stark. Um, using an example, not from a comic book, from a manga, uh, Akira has some of the best yeah. single images you'll ever see in anything. And it's mostly just empty space. Right. It's empty space, save for like a few little things, but the empty space is what you're looking at the most. Right. With Akira, there's that great opening near the beginning where the, they, they blow up Tokyo into a big black sphere of like... Just nothing. And that's some of the most stark, disturbing stuff you'll ever see in a comic. And it's just a black ball blowing up a city, but it looks huge. Yeah. Because everything else looks small. They know how to you know how to balance negative space with used space mm -hmm. in a way that really makes you think, oh well, so this is not important. Don't look at this. Look at this, because it's so much nothing. I'm, I'm going off my high, high horse there. <laughs> no, I love, I love it. it. Yeah, we love there's it. none of that. There's no scale consideration in Ultimatum. It's just how many no. biceps can we fit into this panel? Oh, God, yeah. can we fit into this neck one? Neck veins. Let's get some neck veins yeah. in there. <laughs> so I, even, even like Rob Liefeld, for all his faults as an artist, you know, he knows how to make it so you look at certain parts. It may yeah. not be anatomically correct, <laughs> but you're drawn to certain parts of his image. Yeah. Even if it is a really large, unused, like, moob from Captain America. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> yeah. I, and I, yeah. Even if that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, and that's a good point. That's like Kirby's art. It's not like it's most, you know... You're you're gonna get like the most exotic art, you know. He's got the triangle upper body, and he's got the triangle hips, but you know, mm. you you start to really, really his storytelling and his art was his art didn't take away from the storytelling, and that mm. was a huge deal, you know, when you read Kirby and why he's so big. And like I said, there's nothing wrong with David Finch. David Finch is a great artist, and mm. uh, I love his cover art. Like I said on on the Blackest Night stuff, but. Uh, you, I mean, he's, he's taken away from his own art, which is something I never thought you could do as an artist is <laughs> take away from your no, yeah. no, for sure. I guess my, uh, my favorite piece of, uh, artistic expression in this one mm. was, uh, the scene in the end when Magneto turns Cyclops and Iron Man onto Wolverine mm. to take him out. And that was such a cool part. I thought, and just the way they shot it. And then like his skeleton is just like adamantium remains essentially before mm. it's stripped away completely and that was one part that i was <laughs> there's there's so many deaths that i thought were so stupid but mm. that death was very epic and it was almost last standy you know with with phoenix mm. and like the last claws getting torn away whatever so it was kind of cheesy but if there was a death that i would hope to see in the movie that would be mm. it i think because just the way it was 
constructed. Um, mm-hmm. But it also makes me think that they're going to make Wolverine a pillar character again, which is, God, we're not going down that rabbit hole. But yeah. if there was I would a rather, death, I would rather if they didn't have Wolverine in the story at all, honestly. I know, I know. <laughs> honestly, he's got his share. Like, And who's going to play him? John Bernthal? Like, we, I mean, it depends oh, on the age, age group they go. But yeah. what, think of what, the casting so far. <laughs> yeah, no, and especially Magneto. That's my that's my other fear is like oh. how, how are you gonna top Fastbender? I mean, it was just yeah. phenomenal. He, they did, they did the perfect character. twice. They somehow did it perfect twice. I have no idea I how know. you can do it a third time. Like yeah. like third time is not the charm in this case, I would say. <laughs> but if there is a death that you do want to see, which death would it be? Of all the deaths, I'm going to hold back. And not and say not Cyclops. <laughs> that's the yeah. easy. That's the it's the coward's choice. That's the easy I, one. <laughs> so just so you know, we have typically have three hosts on the show. Zach couldn't make it today, but he okay. uh, is a huge Cyclops head, and I'm a huge uh-huh. Gambit fan, and so we have this argument all the time. Um, and I didn't even like rooting for that Cyclops. Like that Cyclops death was just unnecessary and just sad. <laughs> it, was, it was one of the worst kills in the entire comic. I'll be completely upfront. It was one of the most needless avoidable and the problem was it just comes out of the nowhere the, the plot's done you it's over you everything's solved why would you then go and pull like a cheap shot at the end of your comic where everyone else has already died at this point like who's Seriously. gonna be t- and even plus he finished his arc you don't need to like to like undermine the on the few character arcs of the storyline by ind- indicating, hey, we're going to move on past this now, and then killing your one through line to the next story. Like, you're cutting off your potential for future stories to be told with this new central dynamic. Right. Uh, I think Cyclops worked in, um, when he was like the teenager coming back in time. I like that. Yeah. yeah. What was that? I like that version of Cyclops. I hope they do more like that in the future. But I, no, Cyclops is the easy option. But I think, I think one would be Thor. I think, uh, Thor would be interesting, especially if he, you know, dies in the midst of hell fighting these demons, allowing Valkyrie to come back. You know, that would be kind of cool. That would be. I would cry if Chris Hemsworth. No. If, well, it's not going to be Chris Hemsworth. Uh, yeah, it would be Chris Hemsworth, I guess. Yeah, Chris Hemsworth, yeah. I would die. I would cry. Uh, but it, I think that would be just like Tony Stark. I mean, it would be almost be so yeah. beautiful. It would be heartbreaking, but I also feel like of all the characters they could kill off, that would make sense. I really hope that what, that they do something where they, and this is maybe a little morbid. I hope where they allude to the wasp death, but then subvert <laughs> it at the last. But then subvert it really ridiculously at the last second. So, like normal yeah. audiences would watch that and be like, "Oh, that's a cool fight scene." But then they have something with some giant guy gets ready to bite down on the wasp, and then she like turns the tables on it in some way, or like gets inside of his mouth and like becomes big inside of his head. <laughs> oh something like, yeah, That'd something be goofy cool. like. Something like that, you know. Yeah, slobbering you know, some- blob is like salivating as he approaches her, and everybody yeah. that's read the comic knows it's about to happen. That would be cool. Actually, okay, blob. I would like to see, get blo- see blob get killed, but yeah. <laughs> peace. I'm good yeah, on that too. <laughs> you gotta have a. You gotta have. A, you gotta have some villain get killed somewhere. I mean, yeah. on the Brotherhood should be fine. Blob, you know, they never do anything interesting with his character in any of the adaptations. I feel like I feel the best version of Blob outside the comics was. Um, X Men Evolution. I feel they did a really good job with some of the, okay, with the Brotherhood. And by that I mean they didn't just make him like the generic, I hit things so I'm you know, you can't yeah. hit me I'm strong you know like that the kind of stuff. Big I, dumb tank like yeah it, it like there's a lot of potential for the Brotherhood to be interesting and I feel they never really explore them enough. 
especially not um, Toad. They never do enough with. They never do enough with. Uh, I guess Pyro they kind of did for the original X Men films, but you know, he's yeah. only Pyro really at the very end of the third one. You know, right? Really. And then he gets murdered. Um, yeah, it, it, it stayed in school or whatever, and it's like headbutts him. <laughs> it's like five seconds, and that's it. That's the whole. That's the whole arc here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I would like to see, honestly. Um, in terms of death, aside in terms of the good guys, so we have Thor, Blob, potentially Cyclops. Over um, oh, who knows? Who knows? Maybe some Gambit. No, I'm kidding. Don't, don't <laughs> even come on. <laughs> it's, 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 don't it's introduce terrible. him and take him away so quickly. Uh. I think the, I think the problem is with Ultimatum as an as an early X Men story is most of the casualties of X Men. Yeah, right. It's like a if big you look group. at it, like you have. Yeah, Emma Frost, uh, Nightcrawler, uh, Cyclops, Wolverine. Uh, Jean Grey lives with that, right? Yeah, Jean Grey's okay. Jean Grey lives. Um, Angel gets to- killed. Angel. I, almost, I forgot he gets killed in that. Dazzler. Um, she gets work, uh, worked. You know, yeah, they're, mm, they all get killed a, pretty quick. Beast. Be- oh, yeah, okay. Definitely not Beast. Yeah. We need some Beast. I like my. Well, I want Beast in the Avengers. I want to have him like, have his like. <laughs> You're a Beast head. He's, okay. He's I love one of the it. core members of the Avengers, at least in the beginning, anyway. I want to yeah. see, see him do some stuff. But sure. He's always like, just like, oh, I'm the smart guy. I'm I'm making drugs, Professor X, and my, <laughs> you know, I'm gonna make Mystique some drugs now. I guess. Yeah, I've never seen Beast be Beast in any films yet. Yeah, that's a good point. But, yeah, yeah. Except for when he's played by Kelsey Grammer. That's the only time I think Beast was really the Beast. Right. <laughs> that's he spoke, Kelsey he spoke with etiquette. That's for sure. Yeah. There's a there's JR, a candor. What what death are you trying to see, man? Oh, um. Uh, uh, it's such a hard thing. I mean, I got like overloaded. I, I mean, this is the second time I read it, and it just overloaded me again. I, I think one of the, <laughs> one of the hard things. I, I, I would love to see. Um, I mean, I kind of, I kind of wanted to see the Hulk die. I mean, in the Ultimate Spider-Man, his hair was like got burned off, and he was like throwing this like pink flame as a hairdo, and he just seemed like too powerful at at some point but i mean i know i know i love immortal hulk i think the storyline and i think that being able to maybe not murder him but put him in some jars would be pretty awesome kind of mix that in (laughs) and kind of just you know i think that yeah (laughs) i think that would be kind of like really fun for me to see that um i mean uh, i i just it was hard to i didn't understand the angel death because it was so like he was so like gung ho about kicking Magneto's ass, but then he like dies within like two seconds of entering the building. Same with Valkyrie. Yeah. Like, after Thor saves her, she just gets killed right away. After like it's just so. I mean, it's, it's a dumb. It's dumb. Yeah. It's really dumb. <laughs> it is dumb. So I, I think the Hulk would be very interesting to me, just because I, I I love the Immortal Hulk line, and like I said, he just he becomes something different in that, and he becomes this kind of almost like a demon zombie Hulk at time at times, and can't control yeah. himself, and um. So yeah, that would be my like my death for sure. I don't know how they'd do it, but it'd be very interesting to see if they could pull that off. Yeah. He seems pretty hard to kill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I guess if you can kill Wolverine, you can kill Hulk. That's true. Potentially. Uh, okay. Well, all right. So, so to round it up, sounds like we, we all have our, our uh, hesitations, um, and there is a lot that could go wrong. But if we're optimistic enough, and they just, like you're saying, just tailor it. And I do love the idea of uh, – Magneto as the main baddie and potentially a Doctor Doom anti-hero story arc. I think that'd be really cool. Yeah. They haven't done yeah. Doom right yet. And so hopefully they can do no. 
Fantastic Four and Doom <laughs> well enough. Yeah. Um, awesome, man. Well, well, thank you so much, Anthony, again, for all your input. You have just so much interesting insight to say. Like, it's just amazing. Yeah. Um, oh, thank you. Thank people, you. <laughs> for people that want to hear more, where, where can they find you? Where can they find more of your content? Well, they can find me on Twitter. Um, I post a lot of nonsense on there. <laughs> Great stuff. Um, I have a lot. And on Twitter, I also retweet a lot of my writing. But my writing will be, you can find it on uh, CBR, Screen Rant, uh, my anime stuff. I, you know, I've been posting a lot on Anime Feminist and the Anime Herald. Uh, I have an article coming out in June for a horror site called Gaily Dreadful, where they're doing a fundraiser for the uh, Trevor Project. Uh, oh. which is a which is a really good um fun um foundation you should donate to it helps underprivileged uh lgbtq kids who are on suicide you know suicidal and what have you wow um there is uh mainly, mainly on a lighter note twitter <laughs> I, I realized how quickly that went really dark and sorry about that <laughs> that wasn't dark that was inspirational it's beautiful no no they're they're a good organization um mainly twitter um what's your twitter, twitter Okay, it's uh, I'm gonna spell it out for you because it's obnoxious to say out loud. It's Agramulia, <laughs> but it's pronounced. It's spelled out A G R A M U G L I A. Yes, that is a very original uh, name. I just took my last name and put my first letter on it. I was very creative. <laughs> I was incredibly creative with and name. last name Foley. So you're you're good, man. <laughs> Not a lot of creativity over here either. <laughs> People need to know who you are. It's the easy way to find it. You know, put your That's name. That's true. In there. It's it's easy to get uh, all the people in one location. Well, you got a lot of great things to say. So any way that you can get on more platforms, I mean, that's that's the move, man. And again, yeah. thank you so much. Uh, I learned a lot in this. I mean, so JR is you the comic book source and the knowledge, and I kind of just get the show along. And and I've 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 learned a ton about what could happen in the ultimatum. Also, mm. a lot about artists and everything. So just fantastic job. Thank you so much again. Um, and everybody, go out and follow and support Trevor Project and everything that he's got going out there. Um, JR, anything you want to say before we post out? No, I just want to say thank you. Um, like I said, with Jordan, you know, uh, I do read a lot of comics, have been for a long time. So I think your mm. perspective is huge because it comes in from like uh, uh, a writer perspective. I come in from an artist perspective a lot of times. So mm. I, uh, it's it's a huge thing to to see for me and, and open my eyes to and look deeper into other things areas of the comic book one thing i love about comics is there's so many different areas to look into it's mm. not just two or three so uh just want to say thanks for opening my eyes to that no you know you're welcome man I, that's the great thing about you were just saying it yourself i don't want to just reiterate what you just said but you're right it, it, there's so much so many intersecting elements to the art form and as long as people just appreciate you know mm -hmm. every one of these different components i think that's what makes it's such a great medium. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Beautifully said, beautifully said. All right, well, thank you guys so much for listening, and we will catch you all next week. All right, thanks. Thanks.